AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off Thanksgiving week. Hope you had a good weekend. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Busy show coming up today. We'll take a look at our holiday week weather with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. We're going to talk markets with Naomi Bloom, with Total Farm Marketing, all that coming up on today's program. But first, let me just say thank you. Um, Overwhelming response. I've had so many people reach out to me with uh, congratulations and well wishes uh, after my uh, retirement announcement last week. Uh, Really appreciate it. Overwhelming. It's humbling. I thank you for all the kind thoughts and wishes and um, really, really appreciate it. All right. So let's uh, talk it over now with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, we were just in Kansas City. Great NAFB convention last week. Good to see you there. And wow, you're traveling. You're all the way to California now to kick off Thanksgiving week. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Mike. And let me add my appreciation for all the wonderful things you've done throughout your career. The AgriPulse team has really enjoyed working with you. And it was great to see you in person last week. And we just wish you the very, very best in your retirement. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, value our friendship, you and Al and uh, your staff at uh, AgriPulse. Uh, you've done, you do such a great job um, and you've been a big part of this show's success. And I, I thank you so very much. All right. So we've got some big issues here. First of all, the House passes the big spending package, the so-called Build Back Better plan. What, uh, what's the plan from here? Because it's going to be a tougher go in the Senate, right? Absolutely. And, you know, while we were at NAFB, there was no shortage of news passing through our uh, website, and our team was following this Build Back Better plan, passed pretty much on a party line vote. There was one, there was one Democrat who voted against the package, but, you know, and there's a lot of good things for agriculture in there, including $82 billion in the package, uh, a lot of it for conservation spending. But now it does go to the Senate where it's expected to be trimmed back. Now, the ag provisions aren't necessarily controversial, so we don't know how much of those will be trimmed back. But there are a lot of other things in this package that have uh, targets on them already in terms of you know, what uh, some of the more moderate uh, Democrats, such as uh, Senator Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, uh, will want to remove from this package. So it has to go back to the Senate. Um, you know, as, as you know, everybody's out for Thanksgiving, and uh, so we're not looking at anything uh, that's going to be happening rapidly during this Thanksgiving week. But at the same time, um, the president is really putting the pressure behind getting this done before the end of the year. So uh, stay tuned, Mike. It looks like we may be following this up into the holidays and uh, to Christmas. American Farm Bureau not supporting it. Some other ag groups expressing some reservations about it as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and there are a lot of concerns about having all this additional money going into the economy and what it's going to mean for further inflation. Um, so there were certainly concerns by 
Um, Farm Bureau came out publicly. Um, some might have wondered why uh, so quickly when it's going to be pulled back and probably redone a bit in the Senate. But um, a lot of ag groups are just saying, do we really need that much more money right now when this economy is red hot and uh, maybe that uh, we could afford to wait a little bit? So that's, I think, the American Farm Bureau uh, expressed that reservation that's saying, let's, let's hold off. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. As you said, it's got a ways to go. But we have a couple of other things that agriculture is responding to as far as uh, Biden administration decisions. One on WOTUS that's not being very well received. No, it's not. What they've said is that the EPA and the Corps of Engineers made an announcement that they plan to interpret the WOTUS rule based on pre-2015 regulations. Um, and so we don't exactly know what's going to be in that, but what we do think is that there's going to be, um, you know, a rollback from what many people like, and that was how the Trump administration had administered the rule. So we're, again, staying tuned to see what this might look like, but it sounds like, um, you know, EPA is trying to say, well, uh, this is going to maintain longstanding exclusions from uh, that agriculture has come to rely on, but you've got groups like National Cattlemen's and others saying, well, we're not quite so sure that we're going to like this at all. Um, why couldn't we have stayed with what the Trump administration had done with the navigable waters protection rule? So, uh, we're, again, we're going to look at the devil in the details, I'm sure, uh, when this thing is finally uh, out in the light. But, um, we're going to have to keep a close eye on how much is going to be in this rule that could be, again, damaging for agriculture. Yeah, we'll be talking with NCBA tomorrow about that. Then the biofuels industry not happy as EPA kicks the can further down the road, more delays on uh, the RFS implementation. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they just delayed 2019. Um, they're supposed to come out with these things by November 30th. And now they've pushed back again um, the rules that determine how much ethanol refiners must blend into gasoline. I, this makes absolutely no sense when you're looking at a, a climate agenda from the Biden administration, trying to make sure that uh, you know we have less impact on you know, climate change and uh, ethanol and the biofuels industry in general. So I think they have a very good case in that regard but yet we're pushing back from, uh, the EPA is pushing back from doing more of that blending. So it's obviously something that groups like Growth Energy are really concerned about. They want both the 2021 and the 2022 RVOs immediately. So we're, um, again, kind of in this holding pattern because EPA is delaying once again. And meanwhile, as we watch to see how quickly parts of this infrastructure bill can actually get implemented and things get done. You know, we've talked a lot about the funding aspect of it and getting the money out there. Also going to, there's another component to this. Will they, will we be able to find the workers to do these projects? Well, as we've traveled and like you said, we were in Kansas city, uh, Al and I were both in North Dakota for the weekend. Now California, everywhere you go, help wanted signs. People can't find the folks who are going to be willing to do this kind of labor. So it's it's nothing that's going to be a you know a jump start of the economy from what we can see because first they have to write the rules and regulations and then they have to find people to do the work. 
Yep, it's going to take a while. Sarah, as always, good to talk with you. I uh, know it's early out on the West Coast. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Always good talking to you, Mike. Take care. Have a great Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you. Sarah Wyand, Editor, President, AgriPulse Communications. All right. What kind of uh, weather are we going to have this uh, Thanksgiving week? We're going to talk with DTM meteorologist John Baranek about that coming up next. Then we'll get into markets with Naomi Bloom. Also going to have some more uh, uh, analysis of this move by the Biden administration concerning uh, biofuels and delaying the RBO announcement even more. We'll talk with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters a little bit later on. But weather up next here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics, maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics, like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere, because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision, never settle. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell 
everything's changed. It is tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. John, thanks for joining us. What about this uh, Thanksgiving week weather forecast? What's it look like? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, looks like we're still going to be riding our uh, up and down pattern, roller coaster pattern uh, for the week. Uh, we've got a Pretty cool start here across much of the Corn Belt here this Monday, but we'll see some winds increasing and, and uh, temperatures rising here for the, uh, the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday time frame. We're going to get another cold front to move through, though, right, right on Thanksgiving. Um, for us in the western Corn Belt where I'm at, we're not too concerned. We're, we're going to be pretty dry, but we're going to be a little bit active here as it moves across the eastern Corn Belt. Not a whole lot in terms of precipitation, and most of it's going to be rain. Uh, but there will be some areas here that pick up a little bit more than a quarter of an inch uh, across uh, portions of Illinois up through Ohio, and we'll see the lake effect snow showers turn back on uh, behind it across the Great Lakes as well. Well, you've been talking about this uh, roller coaster ride, and you see it lasting a while, this this uh, up and down in the weather. I mean, we think uh, the, the winter temps are settling in, the cold weather, and then all of a sudden it warms right back up, uh, so that's going to continue? It looks like it for the most part here. Now, uh, at least for the first half of December, I think we're going to still continue on this pattern um, up and down. There might be a little bit of a, a, a brief break in that here this weekend into, uh, into early, middle of next week. So about four or five days where much of the country kind of stays into a, more of a stable pattern and it'll be drier through that. But uh, by the end of next week, I think we get back into this roller coaster up and down situation. All right, let's look ahead to December. What do you see there? And December is going to be an interesting month. I mean, our, I think the, the front half is still going to be that uh, above and below roller coaster ride uh, precipitation kind of following that a little bit, especially across the eastern half of the Corn Belt. But uh, models are kind of mixed on what they want to do for the rest of the year. And, um, you know, we're not overly confident in, in what's going to go on. My guess, though, is, is that we'll see this up and down uh, pattern continuing for the rest of the month. It might bring some, uh, some pretty good cold shots here towards the end of the year. Um, not 100% on that, and it's something we're going to have to watch. But I think we're, we've got, uh, got a pretty good chance for some, for some more Arctic-like winter temperatures uh, towards the first of the year. John, how does that drought monitor map look? Have we seen improvement? Uh, we've seen improvement in a few spots up in the kind of uh, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin area. We've seen a little bit of improvement over the last couple of weeks, but uh, we've seen some degradation out in the southwestern plains, especially from west Texas up to kind of eastern Colorado and western Kansas uh, it continues to be really dry out there. The systems that have been, you know, we've been on a nice roller coaster type pattern. Systems have been moving through kind of frequently, um, but it, those haven't translated to uh, any significant precipitation out there in the southwestern plains and all the winter wheat out there that's, you know, kind of banking on a little bit 
going into dormancy have, have just been dried out. So uh, conditions have been, you know, pretty poor down there. Uh, the southeastern plains hasn't been too bad, and the front that's going to come through this week um, will bring them a little bit of rainfall. But that, that southwestern plains area is just one to really watch, especially as we go through winter. Um, uh, La Nina is not going away. Uh, we're right on the verge of it, depending on who you, you talk to, either the Americans or the Australians. Uh, we kind of monitor this a little bit more closely than some of the other centers around the world. Um, but we're going to be in that La Nina pattern. That typically means warmer and drier weather across the southern plains through the winter and into the early spring. So if we don't, you know, we've been seeing conditions really dry out down there. If we can't get any rain anytime soon, it looks like we're going to be hurting down there in those areas for the rest of the winter season. So you, we talk a lot about this double dip La Nina, so we keep taking the uh, ocean temperature. What's, what's that telling us? So, yeah, uh, La Nina, you know, it's actually pretty interesting. La Ninas kind of happen in consecutive years fairly frequently. Um, uh, over the last 20 years or so, I think we've had about seven or eight La Ninas, and they've been double-dipped with another one right behind it. Uh, maybe not that many. I think probably four or five of them that have been double-dipped right behind it. And actually, the early 2000s, uh, there were three La Ninas in a row. Uh, so it happens fairly frequently. It's, it's nothing um, that we don't see. Usually what we see is the second one is not as strong as the first one. Um, but last, last winter's actually wasn't very strong. And this one is kind of um, forecast to be just a little bit stronger than it was last year. It's just a little bit offset because we had it earlier in, in the fall season last year when we uh, moved into La Nina. This year we're a little bit delayed in that. Talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. All right, we also keep a close watch on weather in South America. Are they still getting rain? Uh, in central Brazil, they are, and that's where they have their their normal uh, soybean crop. You know, they right there in central Brazil, they'll they'll double uh, double up with corn right after that in about January, February. They're on a pretty good track here uh, to have record yields uh, in that area. But as you move through Argentina and the southern parts of Brazil, um, that's more where La Nina has its biggest impact for them. Um, they had a, a bit of a break of that earlier this month where they've had some, they had some really good rainfall over that area for about a two-week, two-and-a-half-week stretch uh, this month, but uh, we're returning back to that drier pattern that they typically see with the La Nina. Now, just because it's drier doesn't mean it's completely dry. Uh, what we usually see is, is fronts moving through every about five to seven days or so with scattered showers. That looks like it's going to continue this week. Uh, we're going to have a, a system move through with pretty widespread showers across both Argentina and southern Brazil. Um, so it's not overly concerning yet, but if, if some of those areas start missing out on those fronts where they're not consistent as they move through or a little bit lighter, uh, then we start creating dry pockets and uh, with temperatures regularly in the 90s down there, um, you know, dry pockets are not going to be very good for crop growth, and especially as we near pollination. So that's the big question for them, right? Uh, off to a pretty good start, but does the La Nina mean they're going to hit a really dry spell in what in the middle of their growing season? Yeah, so yeah, not too bad of a not too bad of a start, you know, Actually, early this, this spring, when they started thinking about planting and they were starting to get going, it was actually pretty dry. It's just been a nice two-week, two-and-a-half-week stretch there this month that's really helped them out. 
Uh, built up some soil moisture too, so that's going to help them carry a little bit. But you know, everything I'm looking at uh, forecasts that we're getting from uh, the Americans and then down there in South America too is really just you know an overall dry pattern. It might be just that those those showers that move through are timely, and you know just because they're not getting the, the rainfall they typically see. If the showers are nice and timely, they come on that five to seven day um, uh, frequency, you know, with, with good regularity, it might not be that bad. But, you know, again, if they get missed uh, by one or if they have a stretch or one of those systems is weak as it moves through and doesn't produce a lot, you know, you could go two weeks uh, without having a good rainfall event. And that's, that is not good when you're talking about pollination. Mm-hmm. All right, so back here, just to wrap up our weather here in the U.S., uh, as you said, the kind of the ups and the downs. Um, are you making any predictions on what kind of uh, winter it could be as far as snowfall? I mean, are we looking – can you get accurate projections on that? Snowfall is a little tricky because it, 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 uh, you need two things to come together for snowfall, right? You need the precipitation and you need the temperatures to kind of be in line. So, you know, you could have a nice big – warm precipitation event and it looks like you know you're in the winter so you'd expect that to be snow but you know if it's if it's a really warm event you know it's just rain uh in terms of of snowfall so it's it's a little trickier but um you know if if we just kind of go by kind of generic um you know our generic thought process usually what we see during the la nina year is where we do get the above normal precipitation is when we do see above normal snowfall and that typically happens across the eastern Corn Belt. Some of that is due to some nice cold um, uh, shots moving through the Great Lakes, and we get uh, some better uh, lake effect snowfall events really close to the lakes there. But a lot, some of that is also due to increased systems uh, that move through there. Um, clippers especially will get during the wintertime. So those usually are almost always uh, snowfall events. So I, I would anticipate, you know, across the, the northern plains where we're still dealing with drought, we'll get them with frequent, some fairly good frequency, um, but lighter on the amounts. So it turns out to be kind of a normalish snowfall. As you get towards the eastern Corn Belt, I think we'll, we should see uh, an increased precipitation across these areas anyway due to La Nina. And I think that'll uh, turn into increased snowfall as well. All right, we shall see. John, thank you for being with us. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Mike. You too. Have a great week. DTM meteorologist John Baranik. Up next, we talk markets with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. Stay with us. This is AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table brought to you by CHS as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system from global market access to local expertise We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Register before November 25th to save $100 off registration. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The market with tight supplies wheat is leading crop markets higher this morning. USDA's ethanol report showed ethanol cash prices at $3.25 to $3.36 a gallon compared to $3.02 to $3.28 last week. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading six and a fraction higher at 5.76 and three quarters. The March contract up six and a half cent at 5.83 and a half cent. For soybeans, the January contract up 11 and three quarters at 12.75. The March contract up 11 and a half cent at 12.86 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up 21 at 8.44. Kansas City wheat December up 27 and a fraction at 8.62. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 19 and a fraction at 10.29 and a half cent. The March contract up 19 and a fraction at 10.33 and three quarters. The cattle on feed report came in mostly in line with expectations, leaving little reason for futures to react. The on-feed number came in at 100% compared to the average trade estimate of 99.7%. Placements were 102% compared to the average estimate of 102.4%, with marketings at 95% compared to the estimate of 96.1%. On the Board of Trade, December live cattle trading 45 cents higher at 133.02. The February contract trading 45 cents higher at 138.15. In feeder cattle, the January contract trading 62 cents lower at 160.27. The March contract down 47 at 162.90. In lean hogs, the December contract trading 77 cents higher at 74.52. The February contract up 60 at 83.07. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 280 points, the NASDAQ composite up 141, the S&P 500 up 43. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
All right, let's talk markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thank you for joining us. Uh, What do you expect uh, this holiday week uh, for the markets? Well, we're coming into the week well-supported on news that um, the crop for wheat in Australia might be getting too much rain. So, of course, wheat's the biggest leader in this complex right now, fundamentally. Taking the lead today with uh, Kansas wheat up 27 cents and Chicago wheat up 20 Corn up a nickel and, and beans up 12 cents today. So I think what we'll see for the week, uh, or the week ahead is um, firmer prices to start. And then on Wednesday, probably some position squaring ahead of Thanksgiving Thursday. Of course, the markets are closed Thursday. Usually Friday is kind of a quieter day because the markets are um, closing early at noon. Every once in a while, if there's some big news out there, we'll have a volatile day because it's low volume trading because most people are still away for the holiday weekend. Um, But I think overall the grain market is still fundamentally well supported. And we have corn, beans, and wheat all trading above downtrending lines. So uh, we have just, again, firmer prices to start the week, and I think we'll stay that way. Okay, let's look at this wheat picture. Uh, As you mentioned, rain, too much rain concerns in Australia. Wheat is a little different now than it was a few years ago. I mean, we're used to just a global glut of wheat, but uh, it's a little different scenario now. So a situation like that in Australia has perhaps a bigger market uh, reaction. That's exactly what's been going on. You know, you hit the nail on the head. You know, just years back, it was wheat couldn't gain any traction. The follower in the whole grain complex now it is fundamentally the first place leader. So we have tight ending stocks for every single category of wheat out there. And then, of course, with the drought that we had here in the United States and what Canada had over the summer, it just exasperated the situation. And then, of course, Russia didn't have the best crop either. So, you know, it was something where we had always said, you know, wheat's grown all around the world, so there's always a wheat crop out there. But last year, we just happened to have enough major producing countries not have good growing conditions and demand has been so strong over the past few years because the wheat prices had been cheap. So we were kind of hoping and betting and needing Australia to have this great crop to help kind of save things and make things work out well. And the fact that we didn't get it just really um, is pushing that wheat market higher because it is making sure it fights for acres around the world going forward. So yeah, that's a that's a different ball game than we've been in for some time with wheat. Talking with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. Well, let's talk about this battle for acres uh, for next year. Uh, how do you see this battle now playing out? It seems to be moving a little bit back and forth with input costs and availability a big part of the picture. Uh, what are you seeing in that soybean corn acres battle? Uh, the battle continues every day. It ebbs and flows one way or the other when you look at the ratio between the two prices. Um, with corn demand being strong and overall soybean demand being strong, uh, the fight for acres is going to continue. Soybeans, uh, the follower in the com- complex is kind of saying, hey, don't forget about me. I, I still think that there's um, a reason why that soybean price needs to come up and go higher along with the corn price with the higher input costs. Uh, the fight for acres, I think, quite frankly, is, is just getting started. And I don't think that we're going to know for sure where things end up until early spring, because there are truly nine grain and oilseed commodities that now have tight ending stocks. 
And we haven't been in that kind of a situation before, so it's quite historic. So it's not just a fight for acres between corn and soybeans. Again, it's nine different commodities between cotton and all wheat contracts, sorghum, oats, barley, and, and uh, it's, it's going to be quite the fight for the finish along with watching South American weather as we progress this winter. Uh, now we need to have Brazil and Argentina have great crops, or, or this price rally is, is just going to continue going forward. Yeah, the competition for acres, it's unusual to see it, it be this fierce with so many commodities at the same time. Yeah, I can't remember a time when it was like this before. Um, you know, I've been at this for just or at 20 years now, and it would be before maybe like two commodities, maybe three had a fight for acres, but to have nine different commodities, because the demand has just been so strong, and now again, not enough perfect weather around the world after having all those abundant crops for five or six years, just another enough weather snafus have occurred to put us in this situation that we're in right now with strong demand and tighter supplies. Naomi, I know you're watching closely the strength of the U.S. dollar and the impact that has on our exports. Absolutely. The dollar continues to work higher. And so historically, when the dollar gets stronger, it makes our export markets a little bit less competitive because of currency exchange rates. But what's interesting to me is that with this dollar continuing to inch higher, our exports are actually okay. So corn export sales are ahead of USDA projections. And soybean and wheat export sales are pretty much on five-year averages for what we would normally be doing with USDA projections at the moment. So um, we're not necessarily seeing demand falter. And again, part of it is because we just don't have the crop there necessarily. So countries are aware of that. And so right now, the currency exchange rate is kind of, on think, on the sidelines. It's more of a matter of, you got to feed your people. So they're buying what they need just to make sure that they have enough food. So we watch what China does, and everyone tries to uh, decipher what they are doing and what each move they make means down the line. How do you look at what they have purchased so far, and what do you think it indicates about their strategy moving forward? Well, I do personally believe that they did not have as fantastic of a growing season as what they're trying to um, tell the world. And they had a lot of rain again this year, just like they did last year. So they have been importing various commodities. Um, there's talk that there's going to be bringing in DDGs. There's soybean meal purchases. And there's just enough of a little bit of, of commodity purchases from all marketplaces in all countries that they're spreading out needs and just trying to buy what they need at the moment to get them by and not necessarily show all their cards. The one commodity that they are purchasing quite a large amount of is U.S. beef. And so that has been really helpful for our beef exports. Their um, best ever um, you know, record amounts for the year of 2021 so far, not just to China, but beef exports in general. So that's been supportive to cattle prices as um, we've seen that marketplace come back and, and move higher over the last month. Um, going forward, though, we'll continue to see what China needs to buy. Um, because they ultimately, you know, they grow pretty much all their own corn, but they're going to be needing to import some. They grow all their own wheat. But as you know, they're going to be importing soybeans. Uh, so we're watching very closely to see what they're going to be purchasing from Brazil and Argentina, 
probably a lot of that will depend on the growing conditions that we see in Brazil and Argentina in January and February. And if there's any threat to their crop, it might turn more business back to the United States. And finally, I want to talk about this ethanol market because despite the administration's lack of uh, total support for biofuels and some things that are really uh, upsetting the biofuels industry, such as now the delay on announcing RVO levels uh, for refiners to have to meet, um, we see strong, aggressive buying from ethanol plants, which is really supportive of the corn market. Uh, you know, we have the higher gas prices, oil prices, and, and, and seemingly growing demand. So can that continue much longer, you think? I think it continues, yes, because we are seeing the demand for driving right now. We're coming out of COVID, and so far it seems like the consumers are able to juggle the higher prices at the gas pump along with higher food prices, along with higher price everything. So we haven't seen any signs that that's faltering yet. So that should be supportive for ethanol going forward. Last week, ethanol production averaged just over a million barrels a day. That's up 2% from the week prior and up 10% from a year ago. Uh, stocks of ethanol were down 1% from the week prior and almost 1% from the year ago. So the demand is there. It's being used. And I think that we continue to see that unless we see su sudden um, issues with the U.S. economy to where the consumer is backing away. But um, you know, with kids back in sports and people traveling for the holidays, I think that demand is there probably from now, quite frankly, until 4th of July. I think it's a pretty good outlook for ethanol, definitely for the short term. Maybe not quite like the boom of a few years ago, but it's still pretty strong, isn't it? Absolutely. You bet. And then the demand for um, renewable diesel, uh, soybean oil, the soy stocks, uh, you see that continuing to stay strong? Yeah, absolutely, especially with um, you know the trucking industry as strong as it is, with consumers relying on uh, items being delivered to their home. I think that that continues, and we're also seeing evidence of it as far as, you know, it seems almost like every couple months we're hearing of a new soybean meal and oil processing facility being built. So that demand continues to grow as well, which should really be beneficial to the biodiesel market. Yeah, so uh, some good strong demand signals there that, that we've seen for a while. Looks like they will continue. Naomi, thank you so much. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Same to you. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Even though we have that strong demand and aggressive buying from ethanol plants, the ethanol industry is certainly very concerned, as, as is the biodiesel industry, about this announcement from EPA that they're going to continue to delay making the RBO announcements for the RFS and what levels are going to be required of refiners, uh, levels of biofuels to blend. We're going to get more on that story from Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Register before November 25th to save $100 off registration. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, 
Every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, when it comes to EPA and announcing RBO levels for the RFS, they've done it again. They've kicked the can a little further down the road, more delays. Let's talk about it with someone who's covered both biofuels and politics and how they intersect. Jarrett Renshaw from Reuters. Jarrett, good to talk with you again. Uh, Biofuels industry not happy with uh, this delay from EPA. Certainly not. I I, I feel like they have... uh at least the, the talk privately and publicly has been uh, much more adamant and much more kind of infused with just frustration. Um, just not a lot of certainty, uh, not a lot of things going their way. And, and, and as you and I know, Mike, this has been a few years of, of this, um, you know, um, of, of bad news and delays and uncertainty. So, yeah, I, I don't know where it's going, but I certainly uh, I feel the anger. Heard Secretary Vilsack tell us at our farm broadcasters meeting last week in Kansas City, he was saying, you know, to expect certainty on this issue from EPA, but we don't have certainty at this point. Yeah, I guess all we know is that they're going to be delayed and they're going to give uh, refiners an, uh, an extra, you know, some extra months, years, uh, who knows, um, uh, to comply with both the uh, 2020 and 2021 mandate. Um I mean, when you don't have the RVO, having delaying the compliance kind of makes sense. So, I mean, I guess the, the original sin is the delay um, and then, you know, followed up by the, the fact now that they're going to extend these compliance deadlines and, and you know, and, 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 and give some real financial relief to some of these refiners as well. Yeah. What do you think is behind this move or this, this delay? Jared, I mean, do you see, uh, are they still trying to just appease both sides or are they just trying to delay making a tough decision or are they really trying to help out the oil industry what do you think's going on here well i think there's a, a few factors let's start with the uh you know the the, the biden's uh, legislative agenda is going through democrats have slim majorities and they need every every one of them to come on board and that's the highest priority of this white house right now so Anything they're going to do, they don't want to upset any apple cart. So delaying any kind of politically risky decisions, um, that makes sense. They also are dealing with inflation and high gas prices. And, um, you know, depending on who you talk to, RIN's, RIN's high RIN prices drive up gas prices. Certainly there's, that is not a, a unanimous uh, point of view. Um, but that is certainly one the refiners are making to the White House. And I think 
they have uh, concerns about high gas prices and, and, and what role RINs may play in it. So we're seeing some efforts maybe to take some air out of the balloon. Um, and then, you know, we also have unions. This, this is a union uh, presidency, um, and union jobs are at stake at these refineries, and they have a chair at the table at this White House. So I think, you know, there's not one driving factor. I think there's, there's this, you know, the, the confluence of all these things, but I think all those things are at play and that have made this administration real uh, gun-shy doing anything. Which makes these calls to other countries by this administration for more oil, that makes that, I, I don't get how that works together. If, you know, uh, uh, if who does that support? I mean, you would think if you're worried about fuel prices, you would say to both our biofuels industry and our oil industry or fossil fuels industry, say, produce more we're going to help you produce more but instead the administration calls on other countries to to provide to provide us with more yeah it, it's funny even as i talk to some colleagues who don't really understand the oil industry all that much and and, and the energy industry that much is i have to explain to them how remarkable it is for a u.s president you know we have an abundance of energy resources in this country um and f- you know for him to come out and both publicly and privately, kind of seek assistance from other countries seems at odds with what you and I understand the landscape to be. You know, to be fair, the president only has so many options here. Um, it's not like he can, you know, push Exxon or Chevron, and, you know, accidental to kind of like produce more oil. He certainly can make it easy. He can work with them. Do there's ways to do it, and a lot of this is about perception too. Um, but clearly. There is a uh, a big uh, 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 gap here between you know how much oil and energy the U.S. has and Biden relying on other countries to kind of flood the market or hit the market with that. It does seem does seem odd for sure. My take has been, or at least I've suspected, and I've heard some others say this too. I want to get your thoughts on it. That the administration really doesn't mind high gas prices that much because it helps them push try to push the economy towards electric vehicles. You think there's anything to that? No, I actually do. I do think they're very sensitive to high gas prices. Um, I think, you know, ultimately there's not much they can do. You know, it is a market. It is a, you know, it, it's, it, and there's not much they can do to influence it. You know, for all the talk about pipelines and all that stuff, um, you know, Biden obviously had some, you know, the Keystone pipeline knocked out, but that was a, an export crude pipeline. The U.S. pipelines are not at capacity. I mean, it, so there's a lot of rhetoric around this. I just, I, and honestly, the White House can, does very little, can do very little to affect gas prices, um, and they don't have that many levers. You know, we're not, we're not OPEC. Uh, we can't kind of demand or, or, you know, influence production and, and all that. We don't have those levers. So, you know, so much of this is just rhetoric and talk, and there's not much action they can do. I think ultimately they don't, they don't like high gas prices, but when you have a policy that is pro-EV and, and anti-fossil fuel, you can't get around the fact that that's going to have inflationary pressure on prices, and you're going to have to find some way to kind of deal with that political pressure or have a better and, argument. And the fact that prices went up almost, seemingly almost as soon as they took office compared to where they were under the previous administration. No doubt, no doubt. But you do got to remember that, you know, 2020, that, you know, I, I don't know about you, I didn't do much driving during COVID. Um, 
and I still remember like filling up my car during the, you know, really the height of that, um, only a few times, um, and prices were like a buck eighty. So there is there is a demand supply demand pressure that was evident in 2020 that wasn't this year. Always good to talk with you, Jared. Thanks a lot. Have a happy Thanksgiving. All right, you too, Michael. Take care, Jared Renshaw with Reuters. All right, coming up tomorrow, we'll get more reaction to the Biden administration's decision on Lotus, and we'll take a look at the cost of this year's Thanksgiving meal. That and more tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. This Movember, here's to mustaches in all their glory. To the first peach fuzz ones, the lopsided ones, the unexpectedly sexy ones, to the black, brown, and red ones, to the stately salt and pepper ones, to the ones grown by the men we love, the ones grown for the men we love, those with us today and those never forgotten. A mustache in Movember is a powerful thing. It helps raise funds and awareness for men's mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. So rally your crew, friends, family, co-workers, and take on Movember together. And there are plenty of ways to get involved in Movember, even if you can't grow a mustache. Help us change the face of men's health. Go to Movember.com and let's get this hairy party started. That's Movember with an M as in mustache.com. Movember is a registered 501c3 organization.